Does the world really need my contribution? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, have you ever asked yourself that? You know, what, what if you have talent for technology, art, music, brain surgery, whatever, computer programming? Does the world really even care? I mean, is your contribution meaningful if 48 other people can do the same thing? And let's look at how to make yourself stand out in a world of sameness. That's going to be one of the issues that we cover today. Our sponsor today is Fresh Books. They're offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners right here at tax time. Be a cool thing to do to get yourself organized. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and then enter 48 days and how did you hear about us section. Well, here's some of the other questions we're going to be looking at as well. Should I move to a job that pays less and requires more hours, but is a better fit? Great question. Should I give two weeks notice or just quit on payday? Dan, am I being cold hearted and unloving thinking that the homeless and or poor should take some responsibility for their situation? Well, there's a hot potato. And someone asked Dan with stretched finances, having four children under 12, should I follow the money or my passion? All great questions. Those and more Our quotation for the day then comes from mother Teresa. You got to think about this one a little bit. She said, the hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. Listen to that one again, because it's, it's, it's going to come back as we talk about some of the questions. The hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. Great thought. Lots and lots of applications. Well, here's a success story from Alexandra. Says Dan, I'm so excited to finally add a success story to the champions round. I launched my first ebook, and it's all thanks to you and the podcast. I was on a flight to Thailand and heard the episode where a follower wrote Uberpreneur. Now, there's a guy, you know, a listener who wrote about all the different ways you could make money as an Uber driver. Alexandra says, immediately I realized I could do the same for Airbnb. Right there in the plane, I cracked open my laptop, came up with 18 ideas. Add in a little effort, time, a few more ideas, and voila, my first ebook, Airbnb Profit Machine, 25 Ways to Make Money on Every Booking. And she says, P.S., as part of the launch strategy, it's free through April 8th. So if you're an early listener to this podcast, you ought to still be in that timeline. But check it out. I did immediately. Alexandra, I downloaded it. I already forwarded it to several people, including my daughter, Ashley, because they live on the road, but have a home here in Nashville that they just Airbnb. But man, great ideas in there. Again, the book, you can just look it up. Airbnb Profit Machine, 25 ways to make money on every booking. So if you get a house and you want to look at not only renting it out and getting the meager rent, 18 other ideas. And actually she's got, well, came up with 18 immediately, 25 ways. Yeah. I already scanned through it. It looks great. Hey, congratulations. Looks awesome. 
Well, we got a whole lot of questions today. I'm going to go ahead and we'll just crank this up a little bit here just to get us in the groove at least and remind you, if you do have a success story, yeah, I'd love to hear about it. Some days we spend a lot of time on those. Sometimes I just include one or so depending on how many other questions that I want to get to. This is one of those days, having been out a couple of weeks, I've got a backlog of a lot of questions here that I really want to get to and address. But you can shoot your question or your success story in to me. Just go to 48days.com site, click on the podcast. You can do that there, or you can just send me an email directly at 48daysdan at 48days.com. Askdan at 48days.com. Now, I want to I give you a little bit more uh, information here about fresh books, and then we'll go right into our questions. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? Yeah, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for being self-employed. Now to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. You can see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed my, my good friend Andy Andrews about his new book, The Little Things. We talked about those little things like his son Austin not wearing his baseball cap on backward because it's seen as disrespectful by a lot of people who have money <laughs> enough said but it reminded me of some other things and I told this story yesterday to our good friend Sutton Parks and he said man have you shared that on a podcast I said no I really haven't but here's the deal this is another reminder about the little things so Joanna and I were just recently in, in San Diego at social media marketing world so a lot of you there had a wonderful time but I had a guy named David, who approached me, introduced himself, you know, not somebody I know. He said, then he said, Dan, I don't want to put you on the spot or embarrass you, but do you have a $100 bill in my pocket, in your pocket? Well, I laughed and I quickly pulled out my wallet, went to the little pocket where I do always have a $100 bill. Now here's the deal. It may seem like a little thing, but I love the significance of it. Sometime over the years, and I have no idea when, but here on the podcast, I shared that when we went through a financial disaster you know, years ago, I started carrying a $100 bill in my pocket. Even if I was flat broke, it just changes my mindset, knowing that it's always there. So I'm, I'm never really broke. I've always got $100. Even if the electric bill is overdue, I always have $100 in my pocket. But it changed my mindset. And it's also given me the opportunity, of course, to give it away many times in a situations where it seemed appropriate. So I give it away and then just replace it. But that reminder, David approaching me across the country years after I remember even mentioning it, reminded me that when we say things, people are listening. 
And as leaders, we'd better be consistent, even in the little things. I have here in my wall next to me, next to my computer in my office, a beautiful piece that Joanne got me that says integrity. It's a metal carving, just one word, integrity. But I think that means staying true to our word, even if it's just in the little things. So just a reminder, you know, the first thing Joanne asked me when I told her that story was, did you give David the $100 bill? Well, now I wish I had. That would have even made a, a better story. But just a reminder about the little things. Well, this comes from Kent, who says, I'd like to ask you, what one book would you recommend about working from home and running a simple business from home? Great question. A lot of you are wondering that. I actually am going to give you three. I, I found it hard to reduce it down to just one book that I would recommend. But I've got three. Easy to find. The first one is The $100 Startup. Reinvent the way you make a living. Do what you love and create a new future by Chris Gillibou. So The $100 Startup, yeah. One book about working from home, that would be one. But I got two more. Also, friends of mine, the next one is Money Making Mom. How Every Woman Can Earn More and Make a Difference by Crystal Payne. Now, I went through that book, every word in there. And it really doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man doesn't matter. You can use the principles and she's got really good tips about how to work from home and how to make money doing that. You know, Crystal is known for her website, Money Saving Mom, has a really big audience for that. But a lot of them were saying, hey, not only am I saving money, I want to figure out how to make money. So she wrote last year, Money Making Mom. And I recommend that. Then there's a brand new one. Book is actually going to be released on April 17th. Christy Wright from Dave Ramsey's organization has a new one, Business Boutique, a woman's guide for making money doing what she loves. Again, it doesn't really matter if you're a woman or not. It's another book that I really enjoyed. I love the format. It's bigger than a normal book. It's more like a workbook. It has worksheets and questions that can walk you through. So those are the three that I recommend, Kent. And with those, I really think you'll have the information you need to be working from home and running a simple business and making money. We just had some friends, uh, Michael and Claudia Good, just moved here this last weekend from Pennsylvania, moved here to Franklin, Tennessee, uh, because they took action on some of the things we talk about here. And they are doing FBA, fulfilled by Amazon. So they buy products, reposition them, sell them on Amazon. It's allowed them to really uh, get in the game, but uh, take care of a whole lot of things they need to take care of. Moved to a beautiful home right here in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, with their uh, two little kids. So, you know, just another example, take an action. You know, I, I have to just remind you, knowledge is never enough. You know, sometimes people say, even if it's, you know, 48 days, yeah, I read 48 days and nothing changed in my life. Well, you know, 48 days is just knowledge. The real key, and, and then I hear from people say, oh my gosh, you know, 48 days changed my life. And I say, well... You know, I, I appreciate you framing it as such, but you changed your life. All I did was provide information. For you to take the information, understand, and apply it, that's what makes the difference. That's what can change your life, change your bank account, change your future, and the future of your kids. Understand and apply. So don't think that there's some knowledge out there that is going to, in fact, change your life. It can help put you in the right direction, granted, but you understanding, taking action is what's going to make the difference. This comes from Matt. 
And this really is the basis of my opening question. Does the world really need my contribution? He says, Dan, my wife, wife Kelsey and I are loyal listeners to your podcast. We love the content and appreciate so much the time you put into making it excellent. Currently, we're in the early stages of planning a blog electronic resources aimed at equipping underproductive young professionals with the tools necessary to make significant contributions to the world. We're both young professionals who are constantly tweaking our planning and organization systems to maximize our productivity in the areas, projects that matter most. My question, will this be a necessary addition to the productivity space? I know there are a lot of voices already in this arena. However, I find a lot of them aimed at those already in executive roles. Would a voice aimed at young professionals be a necessary addition? Now, Matt, let's kind of break down your question. So you have an area of expertise where you want to help equip underproductive young professionals with the tools necessary to make significant contributions to the world. Okay, sounds wonderful. Is anybody else doing that? Yeah. There's thousands of people doing that. I mean, when we look at how many books have been written on leadership, I mean, how many books, I mean, that, that's such a, a common term. Hundreds of books have been written on leadership, on finding your passion, on finding the work you love, on starting your own business. You know, when, when I wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love, you could walk into any bookstore in America and find 75 books on career direction how to find what you're suited for and how to move that into, you know, getting a job, doing the research, the resumes, the interviewing, salary negotiation. I mean, all those things, probably 75 books. I wrote a book anyway that now has sold, you know, like 1.2 million copies, New York Times bestseller. Why did that happen? Well, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you why. So the question really is, Matt, not is this a necessary addition to the productivity space? The question is, what are you going to do to stand out in that crowd? What are you going to do to make a unique contribution? So we look for what we call that unique selling proposition. What is it that you're going to do that is not already readily available? How are you going to make yourself stand out in a very crowded arena? Now, a lot of that has to do with what you title your content, but then what you're going to do to get in the game. You know, are you going to blog, podcast, do live events, you know, speak, coach? What are you going to do to help people in that arena so you establish your own voice as being an expert in that arena? So you can write on anything. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can write. There's nothing that has been so overworked that it doesn't allow for a new voice. When Michael Hyatt wrote Living Forward, you know, how to set goals, how to implement those things. I mean, that's been talked about since Adam and Eve. The material, I mean, the thought, the concept is not new, but he framed it in a way that made it easy for people to plug in. And then he's a willing voice. You can engage with him and his community. You know, those are the kind of things that make you stand out. A few years ago, there was yet one more book written on dieting. I mean, how many hundreds of books are written every year on dieting, on proper health? Lots of them. And then somebody comes along with skinny bitch. Wow. Well, you probably just jerked your head back a little bit and hearing that title. That's exactly what happened. So in a crowded world, I have no idea what the content was, but that became a bestseller because it gets your attention. Just the title. My book, if I wrote a book that said, how to find, well, I mean, I went through this process, you know, how to find work you love. 
you know, how to figure out how God has gifted you and turn that into meaningful, productive work. I mean, all those things. But then I came up with 48 days to the work you love. And it was like somebody threw gasoline on my business. People immediately were saying, you mean I really can change my life in 48 days? And my response always is, yes, you can. If you create a plan and act on it, you can. But that's what made me stand out. I mean, if you do a search on Google for career coaching, you know, you're going to get 13, 14 million sites. I'm in there somewhere. I have no idea where. But if you put in 48 days, I own that. It's not through fancy SEO or technology or Facebook ads or anything. It's just because that's, that identifies me. I'm the guy who says, yes, you can find work you love. And that's not the end of it. You can do it in 48 days if you create a plan and act on it. So that's what you need to do. So does the world need your voice? Absolutely. If that's where your passion is, your talent, they align there, figure out how to make it work. It doesn't matter how overcrowded the space is, but then figure out what you're going to do to set yourself apart to give you that unique advantage. Great question. Thanks for the question. Love the theme. Christopher says, Dan, when somebody in our company gives their two-week notice that they're leaving, my employer lets them go on the very next payday, whether it's been two weeks or not. We get paid weekly. Based on this, should I give notice when I leave for a new job in a couple months or just let them know on payday that I'm not coming back? Well, there's a whole lot of unknowns, Chris, in your question here that I can't really address. I mean, if you're chief financial officer of a hospital, then certainly you're going to want to give not two weeks, but probably two months notice so that they can get somebody else up to speed. So it depends on the level of responsibility. If it's very easy to replace you, then the notice doesn't really matter as much. However, that being said, for you to just walk out on payday really is going to leave kind of a bad taste, no matter what the circumstances were, no matter how easy you are to replace. Really, it's pretty common professional courtesy to give a two-week notice. So I would time it to your advantage based on when you get paid. So if you get paid today, I mean, you may want to give notice on a payday. So if the span to the next pay is a week or two weeks, then you would have that at least based on what you're saying here. So you, you want to avoid just saying you're not coming back on a payday. That, that's pretty unprofessional, no matter what the position. And if you ask for references, you know, that's going to be tough. So time it to your advantage, knowing that you may, it may be shorter than what you really allow. So you want to be pretty up and running toward your new job. Apparently you already have that in place. Congratulations on that. You know, then just do what will not leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth when you do walk out the door. Okay, Wendy. Now this is a, this is an interesting question from Wendy. He says, Dan, I was wondering what your take is on homelessness and poverty. Now, believe me, this is a hot potato and we can offend a whole lot of people real quickly on this question. I'm going to give you some of my opinion and it's backed up by some research. Probably doesn't align with some of you listening. Wendy says, I was wondering what your take is on homelessness and poverty. I live in Oregon and there's a constant barrage in the media about homelessness and poverty are not the fault of the homeless or poor person and we should do more to help them. There was a lengthy article in the newspaper today saying how our programs don't help because they're inadequate. One example was a job assistance program, and the writer claimed the only goal of the program was to get the person a job, not to get them a living wage job. 
There were other examples of greedy landlords keeping the poor in dangerous conditions because nice buildings require your income to be twice what the rent cost. Another example, stingy governmental programs that don't pay enough to support someone with a disability that was caused by defending or helping you. Am I being cold-hearted and unloving, thinking that the homeless and our poor should take some responsibility for their situation? Am I just naive, thinking that it is possible to climb out of a situation? And Wendy adds this, in case you might want some background, I'm not a silver spoon kid. I grew up in a middle-class household with its own share of issues. I got married too young, we had kids too early, and we were too poor for a very long time. Lived in disgusting places, drove crap cars, but worked hard, got educations, built careers, and over a few decades managed to wiggle into the yucky upper tax brackets. Can people not do this anymore? I mean, I admit we both worked really hard, but it was also possible. One of the assertions in the article I read today was that hard work doesn't count anymore. Your comments, please. I wonder we could devote an entire podcast segment to this and more. This is one of those things where there's a whole lot been written about it, a whole lot of studies been done. But I certainly tend to be on the same side of this camp as you obviously are, thinking that there should be some responsibility of the homeless in poverty. We can't just change their situation and make things better long term. We can provide a Band-Aid approach that will give them a meal tonight or a roof over their head tomorrow, but that doesn't do anything long-term to change our situation. I mean, more and more missionaries, nonprofits are figuring this out. I mean, we have poured trillions of dollars into Africa and there are more people in poverty today below the poverty level than ever before in history. Our aid has not helped. Here's the deal. Now, let me give you two quick kind of segments of information on this and then we'll, we'll move on. Great question. And you've probably heard me talk enough to know kind of where my leaning is on this. A few years ago, there was a study done in Rwanda. Rwanda being one of those really challenging little countries in Africa where they ask a question of individuals, most of whom were living on less than $2 a day. And the question was this, how do you define poverty? See, we look at poverty and see it as a lack of money. Well, we can fix that. We'll give you money. We'll take from the rich and give it to the poor. You know, we'll just set up a government program or a church program to give you money. And then we address poverty. Well, the interesting thing is people who are living in poverty don't define poverty primarily as a lack of money. Here's what they responded with. Number one, poverty is an empty heart. Number two, not knowing your abilities and strengths. Number three, not being able to make progress. Number four, isolation. Number five, no hope or belief in yourself, knowing you can't take care of your family. Number six, broken relationships. Number seven, not knowing God. Have you heard anything about money so far? We have seven distinct categories of how they define poverty. Empty heart, not knowing your ability to strength, not being able to make progress. No hope or belief in yourself. Okay, so we have number eight not having basic things to eat, not having enough money. Number nine, poverty is a consequence of not sharing. Number 10, lack of good thoughts. So in a list of 10, we have one little item that says something about money. The rest is very much personal development and relationships. I mean, so as you can see from that, the way we fix poverty in America 
typically doesn't address any of the things that those in poverty say they're experiencing. So we give them a place to live. We give them a tiny house to live in. We make sure they have enough to eat. What is their life like three years from now? Now, here's the other half of what I want to share with this. In the book, Toxic Charity, authors Bob Lupton, book I refer to often, he details the negative cycle of giving related to traditional charity. Now, think about this in terms of how we give to those who are homeless or poor. But also think about family members or our own children. Number one, give once and you elicit appreciation. Give twice and you create anticipation. Give three times and you create expectation. Give four times and it becomes entitlement. Give five times and you establish dependency. That's what a lot of our trying to address poverty does. It simply walks people right through that sequence and makes them dependent. If we go to Africa and we give everybody in the town clothes and shoes, what happens when the shoes and clothes wear out? They expect us to show up again and give them to them. I mean, even companies like Tom's Shoes, I mean, like McCluskey, has written a lot about his thinking in later years and seeing how what he intended to do originally was not a good plan because it does exactly what I just described. You give somebody a pair of shoes, when his shoes wear out, they're looking for you to give them another pair rather than showing them how to be productive themselves, how to get involved in something that gives them a sense of hope, gives them a sense of self-confidence, raises their self-esteem. When my son Jared was in Rwanda, years ago in wanting to help the women who had resorted to prostitution as a way to feed their children one more night. You can't just give them money. It does nothing to break the cycle. What if we involve them in small micro enterprises where they can make baskets or beautiful jewelry that we can then sell and pay them so they can make money comparable to a school teacher in that country hold their head high, get their self-esteem back, and know that their work is changing the trajectory of their lives. I mean, that we can do. And if we aren't doing that here in America, we're doing a disservice to those very people we're trying to help. There's a lot of what we do to try to break poverty that is a disservice. It's harmful to the very people we want to help. Yes, I do think that people need to take responsibility for their homelessness and poverty. They do need to be involved in a process of walking out of that where they have skin in the game. We can't give them into a new way of living. It won't happen. Well, wow. Great question. Great question. It's such a pervasive issue for all of us. How do, and and as we think about those things, again, the, the list of five, give once and you elicit appreciation, give twice and you create anticipation, give three times and you create expectation Give four times and it becomes entitlement. Give five times and you establish dependency. Have any of us done that with our own children or grandchildren? Hey, it's real tempting. Just make it easy for them. And we'd make them dependent rather than self-sufficient. Well, we'll put those, we'll put those, those lists in 
the show notes. 48days.com, just go to the podcast. You can pick them up there so you can kind of refresh your memory and see how that plays out in your own life. I'd love to hear other stories about how that works or things you've done to truly help people in helpful ways. Kimberly says, and I love your podcast, listened for years, read your book 10 years ago, left my corporate job, went back to school and pursued my passion to teach. I absolutely love my job teaching elementary school. So why am I writing? Because I've been teaching for seven years and I'm 51 years old. While I love my job, I realize I can't stay in the classroom another 13 years. Even retiring at 20 years will only give me 40% of my current salary. I can't retire and live on that. I want to become an educational consultant, write educational books, and continue to teach that way. I'm not usually easily intimidated, but honestly, I don't know where to start. I joined the 48 Days Eagles community, but I'm unsure where to begin to make a plan to be the 10% entrepreneur while I continue to teach. Ideas? Absolutely, Friday. Absolutely, Kimberly. Um, I love your question, and I commend you on taking action to get in the, the 48 Days Eagles community. Where we're seeing people come in here every day, sharing questions like this, getting help, ideas and resources to walk right into that next level of success. So look for ways to leverage your teaching experience. You love that. So it's not like, well, let's figure out, you know, how you can you know, sell widgets on eBay. No. How can you leverage what it is you already love? So if you take, you say you want to do educational consulting, writing books, start with those and keep going on to build a model for multiple streams of income. I did a recent blog where I talked about how I developed simply teaching a Sunday school class into what I have today, you know, with quite a few different areas of revenue coming in. And that blog, if you go to 48days.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you go to 48days.com, click in my blog, it's fairly recent. It's in the last month or so, and it's how I make money coaching. But if you look at that, it'll show you some ways you can take your teaching and create something similar. And that's certainly what I recommend that you do. So you don't end up vulnerable at the end of your teaching career and walk out into a tiny little minuscule uh, retirement that you get, but that you already do have your own expertise, your own intellectual knowledge in place so you aren't dependent on that little paycheck. Alex says, Dan, I've always dreamed of leading a business that gives forward to future generations. I've read 48 Days, The Seven Habits, Start With Why, many other helpful and inspirational books. Since then, I've started a storytelling media company that aligns with my personal calling. Our mission is to create fictional stories and share storytelling content that inspires future generations to capture their destiny through strong character. Yeah, my son sounds awesome. Now listen to this sentence right here. Our goal is to maximize our influence by making the content as free and accessible as possible while accepting donations. All right, now I'm going to come back to that, Alex, but let's just hang there for a minute. So he goes on, I work a different full-time job, so it will take me several years to finish turning my stories into books, but even then I don't want to limit the influence of the studio to my stories. I seek your wisdom and advice in improving my business and growing the platform in today's market. Thanks for your time and guidance. All right, Alex, so you want to you know, help share stories that inspire gener future generations to capture their destiny through strong character. All right. Now, again, you're, you're going to need, like in a couple of questions back, you need some kind of a, a, a title, some kind of a caption, a slogan that really captures that because that's as strong as that is. It's very generic. 
and in telling it, there's nothing really there to grab people. So you want something that describes what you're doing. If we go back now to your quest, to your statement in here, our goal is to maximize our influence by making the content as free and accessible as possible while accepting donations. I don't think it will come as a surprise based on what we just talked about, people in poverty. People don't value things that are free. If you give it away, people will not see it as having significant value. That's just the way it is. I mean, there's a real perceived connection between cost and value in our culture. So if it's free, eh, people take it or leave it. So, and, and if you want to continue to do it like that, I mean, that's fine. But then recognize you simply have an enjoyable hobby. When I talk about the three things that have to come together, that have to converge for you really to have a business, we talk about passion, talent, and money. Those are the three legs of a stool. Without any of those three, the stool will fall over, a two-legged stool. So if you have passion and talent for what you're talking about, you know, creating fictional stories, that's fine. But if there isn't money there, then recognize it's just a hobby. Here's the counterpart to that. You put then while accepting donations. I don't think it's realistic to expect people to give you money so you can pursue your hobby. I mean, just think about that phrase right there. We could plug a whole lot of things in there. Now, certainly, if I want to you know, grow hostas in my yard, there may not be the potential impact on the world in a positive way like you're hoping to do. But I think I would have just as much success asking people to donate money to me so I can plant more hostas as you're likely to have for this. I just, I, I don't see a reasonable connection for people to give you money so you can pursue what obviously is a hobby. Now you can go to places like Patreon. I mean, that's a sophisticated way that you can set up what you're doing so that if you're an artist or musician and you're finding it hard to really sell products and make a living, you can ask for people just to give you money. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just go there, patreon.com. You can check that out. And there are people who are doing that. I mean, I know a gal who was a speaker at a conference I was at recently. And I talked to her and she shared with me that while she was a speaker... She was making no money. I said, oh my gosh, that breaks my heart. How can you have the visibility that you have and the impression of helping people as you are without making money? Well, she's just never been able to, to structure it well as a business. She's never created an economic model for it. And she just recently put up a Patreon page asking people to give her donations so she can continue doing what she does and to do better work the last I looked, she had like $40 a month that was committed. I mean, how do you make that work? Now, I know that historically having a patron is not an unrealistic concept. Back in the medieval ages, there, there was kind of a trade-off. They knew that the government officials were pretty corrupt. And so they were taking advantage of the poor people. They had a lot of money. So they would become patrons of the arts. So they would pay Michelangelo or whoever it happened to be an artist a Rembrandt they would pay them to just do their art now they had pretty much total control of them and you can see some of the old movies about how that played out so it's a concept that's out there but I think it's pretty tough to make that work in today's environment 
And I had a friend just recently who quit his job and went to work full time for a nonprofit. They do a very, very admirable kind of work. But he wants to do that full time. And so he was asking for support and asked if I would support him, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month or whatever. And I said, no. I said, I just, I really don't like the model. I mean, a lot of us do worthy work with organizations or individuals. The way we're able to do that easily is by having something that we're doing that generates the income by which we can do that. That's the way that I want to do humanitarian, godly, missionary work to help the homeless. I want to do it because I have business income that allows me the freedom to do that. We went to a fundraiser the other night for, it's the, uh, well, there's a drunk driving foundation here in Franklin, and they do an amazing job of taking people who have become addicted, who are sometimes prominent members of the community, but they walk them through a program, and the people come out the other side, you know, renewed, godly, upstanding character, economically providing citizens of our community. We went to that. And the, they, they had a cake auction. They had cakes that they were auctioning off. Well, Joanna and I got a, a lovely caramel cake that's wrapped up in the freezer. We paid $1,400 for it. <laughs> I'm, because it was a worthy cause. And we are thrilled to be part of things like that that are happening, especially right in our own community. But I don't think you can take what you're talking about here. Alex, and, and, and turn that into something that you feel good about. You'll end up resenting it if you're just giving everything away, expecting people to give you nickels and dimes, you know, as contributions. Turn it into something significant where you have products that people can pay, seminars that they can come to. Teach them things that are valuable. They'll see it as having value. You know, if you have some kind of a financial commitment involved in that. Well, I kind of got off on that. Let me go on, go on here. Lee says... I have an opportunity to change careers. Now, this is a really cool setup. I have an opportunity to change careers and move into a job that pays possibly 10 to 25% less than my current job. This is the field I was educated for and worked in for many years. This new job will also be about 15 more hours per week, which includes a longer commute. However, I would thoroughly enjoy this new position. And they would fully pay for my two boys to attend college in 10 years. I feel as though I might be shortchanging my husband and boys due to the stress of more hours and less pay. How much importance should I put on the free college down the road? Well, that's interesting setup. You can take a job that will pay 10 to 25% less than your current job. But it's in a field you were educated in going to also be 15 hours more a week. That's a pretty big opportunity cost. When we amortize that over 10 years, so you've got two boys that are going to go to college in 10 years. So if we start doing the math on that, I mean, my gosh, if you are currently making, I don't know, if you're currently making, say, $60,000 a year and you're going to take a 25% pay cut, that's $15,000. So if you're going to get $15,000 less in your income and work 15 hours more a week, whoa, we're talking 
pretty heavy price to pay here. If, in fact, you did that, I mean, we're talking right off the top in terms of pay, you could be sacrificing $150,000. I doubt that it's going to be worth that if the only real payoff is going to be sending your boys to college for free. That's a long ways off. Ten years? That adds up a whole lot. Less pay, more hours for ten years? Man, I, there's no way in the world I would do that. Now, on the backside, you know, I would, I would say, well, what if, you, what if you change careers and move to something where you got a 25% increase in your pay? What's to say that you couldn't do that? If you're going to change jobs anyway, what if you looked for a job where you could reasonably get 25% more? That's not an unrealistic goal in changing jobs today at all. If you did that, so you added $15,000, then we have a net increase compared to this job of $30,000 a year. In 10 years of that, that's $300,000. My gosh, what I'd do is invest in a couple of rental properties and tell your boys to pay for college themselves. Well, that's another story. I mean, who knows what value college is going to have 10 years from now? There's a lot of holes being shot in that today. To put your life on hold and put you in the center of a lot of stress just based on getting them a four-year college education, I don't know what that's going to mean 10 years from now. And I would never make this change based on the scenario that you're given here. I'd, I'd be looking for a better opportunity for yourself and your family and let the college thing hang out there as a separate issue totally. A couple more questions. Justin says, in 2007, I saw a career counselor who told me I should be doing landscaping or construction. What I learned from this experience is less that I should be in one of those two fields, but rather that I need a career where I can see an end result and say, look what I did, it's finished, rather than a position like social work where the end result is subjective to the eye of the beholder. I love how you frame that. Uh, since then, Justin, you tried many different jobs. Just the other day, I applied for a position with a local radio station to do ad sales. Uh, I also emailed a guy who does tile and bath remodeling about maybe working for him so I can learn the business and the skill. He's looking for a helper and apprentice. Nothing is set in stone yet. I'm 39 years old, have a wife, four children under 12, and a mortgage, among other debts. My wife is working full-time at $35,000 per year. I currently work part-time at night. Our marriage is struggling due to finances. Sales position could be more financially stable with benefits. Tile and bath would only pay $12 to $15 an hour for now, but it would be a skill I could take much farther than that in a few years. My question is right now with my current financial situation, having four children under 12 running around, what would be the better option? Well, here's the deal, Justin. You know, it sounds like you're closing your eyes and throwing darts at a board just to see what might hit. I mean, life is too short to have that kind of a haphazard approach to your work. So the first thing I want you to do is stop. Take a fresh look at your skills and abilities, your personality traits, your values, dreams, and passions. I mean, from that, you should be able to come up with some common characteristics and a clear focus for work that would be a fit. I mean, you're describing things that are dramatically different. Doing tile and bath work, yeah, you can see what was, what's been done. You know, that's cool. I understand that. Ad sales for radio station, my gosh, I would never take a position right now for ad sales for radio. I mean, that talk about a sinking ship. That's it. 
it's going to become increasingly difficult to do that. And it's just, you really have a lot of cards stacked against you to do that. But look at yourself. Look at what you bring to the table, what makes you unique, your skills and abilities, your personality traits, your values, dreams, and passions. From that, then you should be able to come up with some characteristics that would help you create that clear focus. Now, you may have three or four different things. That's okay. Explore a little bit deeper, but then choose one that you know fits you and make that happen. Don't depend on just external circumstances. Gee, they're advertising for an ad salesperson down at the radio station. Big deal. You know, gee, I heard about somebody who needs an apprentice for tile and bath work. You know, it doesn't matter. There's hundreds of those opportunities. You put yourself in the driver's seat and then go look for the opportunities that line up with what you know you need to be doing, and you'll find five or six opportunities that do line up when you go out with a clear focus. You put yourself way in a better position. You put yourself way in a position to be in the driver's seat. By having that clear focus, go out there with your head held high, shoulders back, knowing what it is that you bring to the table. So don't do either of the things that you're talking about. Look at yourself, get a clear focus, move into that arena. Well, hey, I'm gonna, we're just about out of time here. I want to talk just a little bit about, just, just to remind you that we've got coming up, Innovate. Well, I am so jazzed about this. My daughter, Ashley, and her daughter, Clara, just did a video about Innovate coming up. It is absolutely magical. A little video they did with Clara talking about what she's going to share. She will be 10 years old by the time Innovate gets here. That's coming up May 11th and 12th right here at the sanctuary. But she's going to be sharing about things that she's done to turn her creative skills into income. You know, if she wants a new camera, a new computer, her parents don't say, well, let's just go down to the store and we'll buy that. They say, okay, what are you going to do to get that? I mean, a reasonable kind of approach, no matter what age you are. That's the kind of thing we're going to be talking about here. How to start or grow your own business. How to market your product for sure. How to rediscover your creative passion. This life is meaningless. How to connect with other like-minded eaglepreneurs. You know, you receive encouragement and direction from others. Hey, check it out. Innovate. May 11th to 12th. Going right into Mother's Day. You can hang around. There's a lot of cool things to do here in the Franklin area. Spend Saturday and Sunday here as well. That's the way we typically do. That's what we encourage people to do. Just to come here and do that. Spend the time here. Connect with people who are on the same path as you are. People who are going to give you the encouragement, the ideas and resources to bring your dream to life. That's what we're looking for. And we got that. And then right after, two weeks after that, is Coaching with Excellence right here. Uh, those seats are filling up pretty quick. I have to look at where we are in that. But that's our most popular conference, Coaching with Excellence. If people are coming to you already asking for your advice and opinion, you probably can commit, position yourself as a coach and get paid for doing such. You're going to have people like Jelana Ellison here tell you about her journey the first 18 months how she put herself well into six figures in the first 18 months having never coached before by simply following some simple steps well it's a delight to share this time with you each week hope those questions i love the connection with you all and encourage you see a lot of you in 48 days eagles just check it out 48dayseagles.com thanks for being part of this group of growing numbers 
where we are work that is meaningful and profitable have a wonderful stellar productive and profitable week